Hello and welcome to That Tech Show, the show that reveals the magicians behind the tech that's in everybody's lives. Today we have Ben Burns on the episode. Ben is the COO of the future. How's that for a title? The Future began its life on YouTube and has exploded into various different live events and other platforms uh, all over the world. We catch up with Ben and the various different technologies it takes to run the future. We dig into how it's all synced together and we talk about how COVID and remote working has affected their business model. We're still trialing a different format for the show. So we, we recorded the news live on YouTube uh, last Sunday and you can find that still up on YouTube if you just search that tech show. But we're also going to be moving the news to a new episode, a separate episode that you guys can check out and subscribe to at your own free will. Um, and this way we kind of keep them separate and keep them more refined. So do let us know what you think about that. If you prefer the news, let us know. If you like this this new format more, then again, let us know. So, without further ado, here is Ben Burns. Is the future kind of set up the whole nomad, like, sorry, not nomad thing, but are, are you, um, you're all based in LA basically, but now we, have you kind of got the clear go ahead to kind of, you know, disperse and live and work wherever you see fit? Yeah, it's a little weird. So we are a team of, I want to say 20. It kind of fluctuates because we have freelancers that are really more full-time. Here, I'm going to turn up my gain real quick. Mm. Is that better? A little louder? Yeah, it is, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, I was like looking at my audio uh, levels over there, and I'm like, whoa, it's a little low. Um, (laughs) Okay, so um, with the future, we're a team of 20, and... I would say half of them are these kind of like old time freelancers that are all over the world. So we've got people in Romania, we've got people in Vancouver, we've got people in, uh, um, you know, a bunch of different places. Uh, but it's a little different for them because they're freelance, right? So they're 1099 and um, we, we all of the full-time employees, things, you know, guys with benefits, uh, salaries, mm. vacation days, those kind of things that we were all in LA. And so me moving out to the East coast, I'm in, I'm in South Carolina right now. I am the first full time employee of the, of the future to, um, move outside of, of California. So kind of like the test case (laughs) to see if this Uh, works. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, actually I've got, I mean, I think it would be good for like an introduction at this point, uh, just to kind of maybe introduce yourself. But I, I, you know, I've got an interesting sort of thought leading into that um, around the subject matter. So, Ben, did you want to introduce yourself and and let the listeners know kind of where you work and what you do, and we can kick it off, really? Sure. Okay. Cool. Well, my name is Ben Burns. I am the chief operating officer of the Future. We're an education company, and we teach the business of design and the design of business. Um, we really, honestly, help people make money doing what they love and that's what we're driven by Uh, my role at the future is really to take chris's vision for the company and translate that into reality and so uh you know i'm kind of the right hand man there i i do everything from cleaning toilets to delegating large teams um I, i just make things happen so that's the kind of role that i've that i've filled for for that company and i'm i'm thrilled i absolutely love my job (laughs) 
Yeah, that's good. Chris will, Chris will uh, enjoy hearing that. <laughs> yeah, that, and that, that's, that's kind of how I sort of, you know, f- stumbled upon you guys was through your education platform and it certainly helped me and supported me through my journey. So it's a, it's a great, um, great, uh, well, yeah, I, I owe a lot to you guys. So uh, thanks for that. But it, it's interesting that you say uh, that you take Chris's vision and make it a reality. That That almost says to me that the vision is here floating around and you're there to kind of systemize that and actually you know make it to to something realistic is that fair to say (laughs) yeah 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 and sometimes like sometimes it's super clear right sometimes he's it's it's a very easy thing to to see what he's seeing but sometimes it's uh it's like you've got a prophet you know like a blind prophet and that and Mm. and that person's trying to tell you what they're seeing and it's almost like you have to sketch something that blind man sees and so it's a it's it's a really really interesting and challenging position because um, we're trying to craft something that doesn't really exist um, you know you can go and take design classes on Skillshare design classes on Linda and stuff like that but is that truly a design education are you truly becoming a designer through that and and that's the that's the big problem that we're trying to crack because there's a level of like uh, there's a two-way street that not a lot of online platforms have been able to uh, to drive down. You know, there's there's critiques and there's pushback that design instructors kind of like uh, are supposed to be giving to their students. And with these kind of traditional online classes, they don't get that. It's it's only one way. And so it's it's a little bit of uh, trying to read the tea leaves and and figure this thing out. Um, but it's also it's also just a blast to to venture into yeah. the unknown like this. Yeah, and so you guys probably rely heavily on technology, right? It's it's the only way you guys. Could, I mean, it's not the only way. You've done live events and things like that, but technology really is the backbone to to how you guys can operate, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and so you know, going to what we were talking about before then, and. So COVID introducing its kind of limitations and some, you know, to you guys, do you think that's a bit of like a, dare I say, a bit of a blessing in that it's forced you to reevaluate like different ways of using technology and it's enforced how maybe your, your, do you call them customers? Your, your students? Yeah, um, students, customers, Do you think, people. yeah, I mean, do you think it's, maybe this whole situation is kind of helping people and and the future embrace technology more mm. I, I think or use that, it in different uh, ways honestly i've always been uh the one that's been pulling for things like remote work and um mm. you know digital execution and, and a lot of these things and we do still have a physical building in los angeles it's a beautiful studio um, you know, you can check it out. There's tours on our YouTube channel and it's kind of a remnant of, of a business that Chris had in the past and largely right now, especially during the COVID times, it has been empty. And so we've kind of had to learn how to adapt. Um, but really the, the biggest, the biggest change that we experienced was the production teams. And so for video production, Ideally, you have a director there that's kind of keeping an eye on everything. You've got a cinematographer. You've got somebody in charge of the lighting and somebody that's being, you know, I think they call them grips, Mm. but, you know, the gophers and all this kind of stuff. And so 
we have a video production team and then all of a sudden that video production team had to figure out how to continue creating videos even though all of the talent you know all of the people who are on our youtube channel and on um you know our education ecosystem were from home so it was a, it was a different challenge that we had um but as far as like the entire business i think the vision was always uh, to to reach as many people as we can for as as little uh effort is a bad word but for as little cost as we can you know because we if you're traveling around and, and doing live events that's one thing but if you put out a youtube video that two million people view that's another thing so uh, technology mm -hmm. has always been an integral part but i think that just the covid thing threw gasoline on that fire and uh it mm -hmm. kind of made us move a little quicker <laughs> if that makes sense yeah 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 and sometimes you need that kick up the ass right it's so easy to get complacent and to keep pushing yourself you yeah know, Fuel from within is a difficult thing to try and um, to to get essentially. So, um, and so like we're we're here. We're going to be talking about kind of automations and, and systems and things like that. What like what have you discovered? Kind of anything new technology wise that has has really kind of opened your eyes? I mean, you we we've moved on to Circle now. How is how is that kind of going? Like uh, as a as a first example of like embracing new technology, do you think that was like a COVID inspired thing or? No, actually that's a, that's a, what, what I call a PIA uh, initiative. It's, it's a, something was mm. a pain in the ass. <laughs> we had to fix it. Um, so mm. as far as like, uh, you know, if I've had any kind of new revelations, Circle's a new platform that is more of a community management platform. And I'm super stoked about that. And we could totally get into that. Um, but mm. the thing that I've realized is that like what we're trying to do, there's no one platform that can do it all. We need physical e-commerce. We need uh, in-person commerce, you know, traditional re retail commerce. We need a mm. uh, digital platform that, you know, a digital e-commerce that sells um, content, basically courses and downloadables and things like that. We need, uh, content protection. We need a learning management system that we can, mm. um, you know, host all this content and the students can navigate. We need somewhere where the students can save their uh, receipts uh, and, you know, their transaction history. That's one place. Then we need uh, a community management for some of the larger groups that we host because that's where the true value lies. And then the things that we haven't even solved yet, like students submitting work that isn't freaking Dropbox or, uh, you know, a, a freaking gravity form on a, on a WordPress site. Um, how can we, how can we have a, uh, like an instructor critique pieces of work at scale? Um, so we realized really early on that there's no one platform to do this, but we also are completely bootstrapped and we decided really early on to prioritize hiring people to enable ex educators versus hiring someone to develop a, a, a platform for us. And so we had to stitch all these things together. And, and so far mm. it's been going pretty well, but um, really honestly, we're always kind of on the lookout for different platforms that uh, mm. would meet a greater quantity of those needs um, so that we can kind of consolidate what we have going on or, or maybe even do things better. So, 
for me, it's like, it, yes, if I'm like seeing anything new or, or learning anything, it's like, dude, I'm always, I'm always on the hunt. I'm always looking for that, that new, new, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can, you used to be a developer, right? You used to do a bit of website development. Yeah, a little bit. I leaned way more on the design side. Um, and yeah. I, I can I can code myself out of a locked room, but that's about it. You know, like <laughs> if I absolutely yeah. needed it, I could do it. But yeah, it's it sort of feels like I don't know. I was always that person when I was younger. Like if if my brother didn't have his like computer set up properly or his phone, like I'd always be tinkering and tweaking because you're always yeah. kind of looking you're trying to exploring and i feel like i did well the reason why i asked it was a development uh if you're a developer in the past is that i wonder if it's like a developer thing or whether it's uh well just a nerdy thing i think just looking for the next tool the next thing to get yeah. involved in well and i think i think like did you did you ever make games on your on your calculator like did you guys have the t82 calculators in in high school or um, um grade i used school? to write I used to write boobies upside down. That's as far as my calculator. <laughs> in high school, in order to do the more advanced math, we had these T82 to, uh, I think it was Texas Instruments TI82. I used to program games on that. And so, you know, I was like wow. the guy that everybody would just um, like secretly pass their calculator to. And then I would take it home and program a game. And it was really like... Um, you know, really simple snake stuff. Like if, if you're, mm. if you have to change the direction of the snake and then it picks up a, literally a period and then, <laughs> and then it grows just a little bit longer. So that was kind of like my experience in high school with, with, with coding. I was just like the, the guy with, that would hack games on the calculator so kids could not pay attention in class. I'm, I'm yeah. definitely going to have to go and That's look so that funny. up now. <laughs> <laughs> I think I need me one of those. Yeah. Um, so with, with kind of, it's funny as well, I'm, I'm doing the, the hundred day challenge thing you guys set up for us. And, um, one of the posts that I've got lined up, ready to go is around tooling. And actually, no, I think it's already gone up, but the point being is that I think there's, there's an element of fatigue when it comes to how many different things we need to log into. Like if I, I'm using nifty, which I will gladly dork out about just as much as you probably dork out about circle but um it's you always almost hear like a silent sigh from people when they've got a new platform to log into or a new tool to log into because everyone's needs are so specific and you're trying to make a glove that one size kind of fits all like i mean do you find that it's it's kind of hard to like get people going with a certain tool at the future Oh my God. Uh, getting people going is, is usually, um, easier than the other half. Um, like getting people onto, uh, so just to give the audience some context, we have a, we have a paid for community. It's called the future pro group and it's hosted. It was hosted on Facebook. We had a Facebook group and we wanted to move things onto a, like an actual community management platform because of a myriad of reasons privacy concerns, um, admin tools, just the the overall experience of being something that's not cluttered. We had students that created fake Facebook accounts just so they could join. Um, so we wanted to make this transition and making the transition over um, and helping people through the learning curve of using new platform and, and dealing with the, um, 
the people who just didn't want another thing to log into. I mean, I think that that's like expected. So it really wasn't surprising. I think that the biggest thing is dealing with uh, the backend complaints. And so it's less about like the um, platforms that we choose to actively use for like community management, but it's with things like we have three, four, five platforms for e-commerce. And so when wow. somebody buys something from us, it's a, it's a crapshoot to figure out where that transaction lives. So physical merchandise mm -hmm. right now is all through the bookstore, which is on a, on a Webflow site with WooCommerce. And um, the only reason is because the Teachable uh, system where we host our courses can't do physical merchandise. <laughs> Literally, they don't even accept addresses. Um, and then we have the, we're moving, we're migrating over to Webflow e-commerce very, very slowly and methodically. And so the book is hosted over there. And so you've got three main platforms and then you've got a bunch of secondary things um, that, you know, people can purchase future merch like uh, Teespring and stuff like that. But when somebody comes to mm -hmm. us and they're like, hey, guys, I bought this thing and I cannot find my receipt in the academy, which is teachable. And then we have to search all three other platforms and there's no one place, there's no one home, one account for the future stuff. And I think that that like, number one is a symptom of us trying to experiment to figure out what works, but it also is um, just, it, there's no platform that does everything. Um, so, yeah. you know, we're, we're still trying to figure that out, but. Just I, in terms of um, those platform choices that you made, then I think it's a common thing at the moment, especially for new companies or companies wanting to switch and go in a different direction to go and find platforms and stitch them together, like you've said. Um, I'm curious as to what led you to the decisions that you took to choose the platforms. You know, did you think about going and designing it from scratch and building it from scratch? Um, you know, what were the trade-offs that you made? Because other people listening, hopefully, are going to be making similar decisions. Um, yeah. You know, how how do you choose what is the best way to string these platforms together? Because you've already mentioned some of the pitfalls, I guess, there. Yeah, yeah. So I, out of the out of the entire team, I, I think uh, I'm the most technology-oriented. Um, most of everybody else is is exclusively design and then and then you have chris who's kind of design and education mm. and public speaking um and so as far as skill sets lie like uh it's it's on these two shoulders so when we were first starting out it was literally just the four of us you know it was it was it was chris it was matthew it was greg and and myself and so we basically had to analyze or or prioritize our our time and instead of building the, the, you know, software, instead of prioritizing building a platform, we prioritized instead in investing in the education ecosystem. And so instead of hiring developers, we hired cinematographers and producers and, mm. and uh, you know, designers that would help us build out the, the content, which is really in, in our ecosystem right now, the content is the value that people come mm. to us. So that's where when we when we evaluated things it's like we're bootstrapped, we have limited bandwidth, we have limited resources. Um what do we put those towards? And so it was like, you know what? I'll stand up whatever we need to stand up. Here's the other thing too is that things change, right? So when we started, mm. we had no inkling that we were going to do video classes. 
We had no inkling that we were going to do one-on-one coaching. We never, it it was just one of those things where it was like, you know what? They're asking for this. So why don't we give that to these, these people? And so the needs evolved. And if we would have from the beginning developed a platform, you know, hard coded from scratch kind of thing, it would be very different than what we would need today. And so knowing that like in, in 2020, it was kind of the right decision unless we were to hire, you know, maybe a CTO and a, and a, and a small team of developers that would just kind of track those changes with us. And so so it's really seemed, just boiled down to the priorities. So it seems that you followed um, some of the stuff that it looks like you're teaching then really, I suppose, in terms of MVPs and that sort of stuff, actually, you know, taking a design approach to building your own company. Yeah. Yeah. MVP, I, I hate the buzzword, but <laughs> it's really the best <laughs> way to describe it. Minimum viable product. And then we've, we've taken it even so far as to say, all right, what's a one-week MVP? What can okay. we get up in one week? Because, uh, you know, even six weeks, needs may change, something may change. And the scatteredness that uh, we deal with on the back end so far has been worth mm-hmm. rolling the dice on the front end and, and just going for it. Um, and so I think now after this is year four or year five, I think now is really the time where we're distilling all that and we're trying to figure mm-hmm. out like, okay, so what do we actually need? What's the, where's the profit centers in the business? What, what platforms are just kind of sitting out there, um, not doing anything with us? Uh, and, and, you know, we're starting to reduce down. So I think that period of experimentation is messy, but it's important because if you don't go through that, mm. it can be very, very expensive if done the wrong way. And I guess at this point, mm. you've actually got some revenue behind you as well to be able to afford to choose the things that you want to improve as well. Yep. Nice. It sounds like, this sounds like a startup. You know, it it's not because you've got brick and mortar and it's, you know, a lot more... Um, well, a startup is trying, well, no, yeah, it's like a startup. You're trying to find your feet, you're exploring things, um, you're moving quite quickly, you're adjusting to those times and you're not committing to any one particular avenue. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that's fair to say that you guys are taking a very startup approach to, to your platform and your, your business? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, we, we yeah. I think we refer to ourselves as a startup too. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, have you ever made any kind of, you said you've, you know, you're looking for these um, tools and things like that. Have you ever um, thus far like committed to a tool or a platform and realized you made the wrong choice? Oh, for sure. Oh my God. Yeah. Mm. Um, I, I, I don't want to throw them under the bus. So like to anybody's listening, give these platforms a shot because it, you know, they might fit your needs, but for us, it just, it just didn't work. Um, but big marker. So Big Marker is a was a new kind of webinar uh, platform where they promised a lot. It was like they promised evergreen webinars. They promised uh, the ability to send uh, automated messages and to interact with the webinar chat through Slack. Um, and we stood a bunch up and either things didn't really work or the audience didn't really use the features that we thought they were going to use. But it just didn't... Um, it didn't pan out. And so um, it basically fizzled and it, and it kind of sat on the shelf for a couple of months. So that was mm-hmm. that was one of those things where it's like, okay, so this automated webinar kind of uh, funnel system that a lot of these like internet gurus use, 
It's just not for us. Um, when we do mm. live webinars, those things are magic. You know, they work. They 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 work at converting people. Um, they're uh, interesting. They're engaging. They're entertaining. Um, but the the static webinar, and it could be us, right? It could be our the way that we approach the content. But it just we couldn't we couldn't crack mm. that nut, and so we we canceled that. Mm. And there's tons of other I mean, ones for again, sure. Like, yeah, because you guys, you guys for your live webinars, you're using, uh, you're actually using Hangouts, aren't you? But with yeah. a with a board, like with a, yeah, and that's great because the Jamboard thing I only noticed came live probably in the last few months. Mm-hmm. Um, like, is that right? Like you you you, uh, you guys have jumped on that straight away, then, right? Yep. So the the Jamboard, yeah. you know, Chris loves the whiteboard, like just a just a traditional whiteboard. He loves standing in front of something and and taking notes and drawing and, and doing bullet points. And so that was a natural evolution. Um, I'm going to be curious to see how long that sticks or if it, if it does stick just because it's a, it's a behemoth piece of hardware. <laughs> and uh, I know that like we're moving more towards fast moving and um, you know, more flexible things. But that being said, when when you're producing a ton of content when you're producing a ton of like educational materials it's really handy to have something set up where you can just go in and you turn on the lights and everything's like on it's kind of like uh you know when i'm looking at building an iron man studio at my house where it's just you know you walk in you're like alexa let's stream or whatever that is and everything just (laughs) turns on so that helps right just in case yeah (laughs) (laughs) so that 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 helps because like it, it just reduces barriers to to content and and mm. the Jamboard is one of those things where it's like if you want to draw on something, you never know if the camera's going to catch what you draw. Is it like you you mm. have to have a camera operator that's going to zoom in there and, and actually show it, and then the yeah. director that's kind of in the in the works enough to be able to say like yes, let's make sure we stay on this so somebody has enough time to read what he's writing or recognize what he's drawing. Um, so that's just one of those pieces of hardware that just makes that easy. And um, so, yeah, I'm pumped about that, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I've not seen one of those in real life. <laughs> Are they expensive? Oh, yeah. Jamboards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I bet. Well, I mean, what is it? It's just, it's literally just a screen that has pen inputs, right? But you're running Google Hangouts effectively on it. How, how does that tech work? Yeah, it's basically just a big iPad. And uh, mm. it, it just records, you know, whatever pen input it is. And um, it, it uses Google Hangouts, which is kind of meh, in my opinion. I've never been really happy with Google Hangouts. But I know that they, they pipe things in through, um, you know, the live streaming software. So they hook it up to an input on uh, the ATEM and run it through OBS to get it out to the people. Um, but, yeah, that's that's generally how it works it's it's available in in digital format through hangouts but i think that uh they're routing things around to to avoid putting everybody in the hangout (laughs) Mm. um i kind of want to get into now because you've got all these tools and things like that um lots of lots of moving parts how do you bring all this together and how do you kind of monitor everything because it starts to well, I mean, we're we're here to talk about systems and and kind of automation and things like that. Yeah. 
how do you does that kind of play a part in all of this in being able to just absorb it all without kind of just getting lost in a sea of logins <laughs> for sure yeah i think that the biggest thing is that like zapier zapier that thing holds our business together it's the duct tape wow. it's it's it really honestly runs everything and the beautiful thing is that you can log in you can see there's apps running and you can monitor the activity and so um going back to our transition from you know moving the facebook group or moving the pro group from facebook to circle facebook groups was a black box for us um it wouldn't integrate with anything and so every time someone joined the pro group um, which is a monthly membership they would have to check in with one of the admins and the admin would have to physically like personally go back to teachable check to make sure that they actually have a live account and then allow them into the Facebook group. So it's a lot of button pushing. Whereas with this new um, circle integration, it integrates with, with Zapier. I'm going to do Zapier. I don't know how to actually say it, but um, no, no me. Said it. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's zap, but Zapier just feels weird to say, right? It's like, I don't yeah, know. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's like tapier, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. So so Circle integrates with, with, with Zapier and when the student signs up for the course on Teachable, it automatically adds them to the community and it sets them in the right direction so that they hit the onboarding information first. And so the onboarding inform the onboarding protocols is much, much smoother with this new platform and it alleviates about eight hours of work that we were having one of our team yeah. members do and then when somebody quits you know when somebody cancels their subscription when they churn out um that <laughs> that process was a nightmare because a lot mm -hmm. of people and and i'm not saying this to to like throw shade on anybody in the pro group but a lot of people would sign up they would set their facebook name to what matches their academy and then they would be in the group for a while and then they would change their name or change their Facebook email address and then it would be nearly impossible for us to find that person after mm. they canceled on our payment processor and so we would always have 30 to 60 people that were just in there and we couldn't match them with a subscription and so now that's kind of alleviated all that so it was uh, that was that's the back end reason that we that we made that switch um and thankfully that's going to save us an, an incredible amount of man hours um just managing mm. that kind that of seems stuff. like a problem it would be almost impossible to foresee yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah mm. and that's something i you know chris and i talk about a lot it's like everything that we do right everything that we make for our customer everything we make for for our audience um it involves a little bit of like a like an afterburn of work so it, you know, once that thing is, is live and out there, there's always going to be something there's out, there's either maintenance that has to be done on it, or there's, there's going to be problems that it's going to encounter, or there's going to be problems right around the corner. And so one thing that I've learned is like, we need to move fast, make sure that we're doing these, these, you know, really, really quick changes and, and MVPs, but also recognize that once those things are done and once those are the things are out there, we have to have someone that pays attention to them. Because if it doesn't, if it doesn't get paid mm. attention to, then it starts failing, and then we have big problems with our with our customer experience, and that's that's an issue. 
Yeah, yeah, because I, I wanted to talk about um, how you monitor the performance and how you just, again, just all these moving parts and things like that. Like, it sounds like you would, you know, and, and Chris, you could probably speak to this from a developer perspective as well. It's it's kind of important to have the, the monitoring set up before the the platform itself is up and running so that you can know if something's failing or you know that it's, you know, not going the direction that you need it to like are you using is there like a separate monitoring like thing that plugs into all of this or are you you know is there a centralized logging sort of system for all of this or are you literally just you know reliant upon zapier's you know notifications or or whatever yeah so we look at the task history for for zapier that's like the the main thing Mm -hmm. to make sure operational stuff is is tied together um, and then we also have Google analytics running for all of our front end, like marketing stuff. Um, so that's, that's kind of a no brainer. And then full story is, uh, is also running on the, on the more front end stuff on the back end. As far as the groups go, we don't monitor anything like that. It's really just like we have moderators and we have admins in there and we, we really pay attention to the engagement, which is why we haven't made a community group for every single one of our 40 classes, because we recognize that mm-hmm. like, the level of engagement that we're getting out of the pro group, we're not going to be able to rec- replicate without a full-time staff paying attention to that kind of stuff. So, um, and then for the the learning management system on Teachable, they actually have pretty good analytics. I'm not a huge fan of Teachable right now, um, but as far as like student progression tracking and you know student drop-off points, we can see exactly where uh, they're at in the class and, and how much they're they're actually finishing. And that is a is a metric that historically we really haven't been paying attention to. And it was only in the last maybe month or two that we realized it was vital. And so uh, I'll give you an example of this. So we have a, a, a course called Business Bootcamp. And the bootcamp is one of our more expensive courses. And it's, it's the most in-depth and the most hands-on. Um, it really takes the student through... Uh, what it actually takes to, to scale a business. And we go into a lot of soft skills that not a lot of these mentorship and business growth hacking uh, courses actually kind of dig into. And Sam, I think you took that, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So with the boot camp in 2018, 2019, it was something where we did limited enrollment. So everybody started at one point, everybody started together, and then the entire class would meet once a week and discuss. And so last year we had this, this, this thought, it's like in order to fill seats in the boot camp, it took the entire team three months to get 50 enrollments. It's, it's that big of a, a challenge. Huh. Um, so we were like, you know what, let's go ahead and shift to open enrollment where the student can join at any time and they're able to, um, kind of take the course at their own pace we thought this was a good idea and so far it has not been panning out and so when we look at the data when everybody starts together and they had accountability meetings that were dependent on the material delivered that week our course completion rates were like 100 percent. in open enrollment now we're looking at a 33 percent completion rate so it's dropped 77 percent now, it's way easier on a, on a marketing side to, to run this program 
it's way easier on, a, on an admin side to run this program, but I can guarantee you that the students are not getting out of the course the same thing because they're not putting in the work because there's not mm -hmm. that system of accountability that's dependent on the specific content that week. So, you know, there's not, I don't think that there's one centralized place that we could bring all this data together. But it's, it's, it's a learning curve to figure out like what metrics actually matter because every single platform has tons of different things that you can me you know, measure. Uh, we haven't even talked marketing stuff yet, but um, we do rely on the individual platforms. And it's really just like, what's the mission? Is the mission to improve uh, boot camp completion rates? Then we, pay, then we start paying attention to that metric um, and then we move on to the next thing, so... That's great. That's, that's exactly what we do with um, websites. You know, part of our part of our discovery, part of our introductory sort of process. You know, is is what what is what is our goal here? What are we trying to do? And then, um, or, or what are we trying to monitor? You know, and that's where the the tags come into play. That's where the the, the monitoring stems from. Is like just identifying the goals and then going mm -hmm. from there. Because you're right. You know, a lot of um, a lot of the lesser educated clients that I have, they they want Google Analytics as everyone does, or some form of Google Analytics. But they they sort of expect to log into that and just see exactly what they want. And it's like, no, these systems they just give you the numbers, and it's mm -hmm. up to you then to interpret those numbers or to formulate hypotheses around those numbers yep. and then action them. You know. Yeah, of course. They just give you so much, so much stuff, and then it's really just down to you to figure it out. Yeah, I think I think it's really rare to to see organisations that have that much useful data, let alone actually having useful data points that help you make product decisions. You know, mm -hmm. I think I think that's pretty mm -hmm. a pretty powerful metric you've you've hit on there for yourself. Um, yeah. in terms of the course mm -hmm. completion and success rate, uh, but I think it's a really hard thing to kind of do what you've done going from being such a small team and bootstrapping your way up by cobbling the platform together out of other platforms um, and then still pick the analytics. And so often I work with huge companies that haven't got analytics. Um, and I work with small companies that are desperate for analytics. I think it's a very different approach for each one to figure out how they're going to put a platform together, yeah. maintain a run platform, and pull all of the analytics together in at the same time. It's uh, it's definitely a tricky business, I think, to pull it all together. But the key point, I think, as you've mentioned, is finding what is that key performance indicator that tells you whether you're making the right product decisions or not. Yeah, yeah. And I, yeah. I think that it's really important to um, evaluate your analytics and, and try to independently confirm the things mm -hmm. that are going on. Um, and and mm -hmm. we can kind of get into marketing technology here and... We've, yeah. we've, we've got tons of different marketing solutions kind of stitched together with, with WordPress and WooCommerce. Um, the integration with Google analytics is great. And so we can see very, very clearly the students progression or the, the, the purchasers progression through the website, through the cart, and then into the, into the actual product. <clears throat> Teachable on the other hand, and this is something I didn't know signing up for Teachable, and it's something I want to bang my head on the wall um, and go back and <laughs> smack myself. Teachable has decided that they are going to own the students and they're going to own the checkout. 
And so when you go to thefuture.com and click purchase, you, you hit the Teachables checkout page. And if you'll notice, it's a totally different URL. It is not a future URL anymore. It's Teachable. Mm-hmm. And then they redirect the student after purchase to a thank you page. And so what happens is Google Analytics tracks the student through our website because it's got a beautiful integration with Webflow. And, uh, you know, it, it goes to the sales page. And then when they, when they go to the checkout, it's like, boom, they disappear. And they disappear yeah. from everything. Facebook, P- uh, Pinterest, LinkedIn, all these ad platforms. It's like, boom, disappeared. And so we have we have zero visibility on that. We also have zero um, ability to customize that checkout program. And so um, that's a major issue. And so for tracking analytics, basically we've we've had to do things with like gross conversion rates, where I'll take a look at the individual users that hit the sales pages, and then I track how many purchases that have been made from you know those courses and then that's the way that i can tell if a sales page is performing well just by those Mm -hmm. those two numbers and they come from two different platforms one's from google analytics and then one's from the sales that we make on teachable and i merge them together in an Mm -hmm. analytics program and so that's a major problem that i'm actively trying to fix um, and we're going to be fixing probably with webflow e-commerce and uh, zapier to get them into our learning management program um, but the, the thing there is that like with Facebook, Facebook has the same problem. They can't see the, the checkout. And so what they do is they create numbers from somewhere. I honestly don't know where they get this stuff. Right. And they're like, we did great. <laughs> and it's like, dude, how how you sell, you can't even see the checkout? How are you telling me that you have a you have a six percent conversion rate on this campaign? Is this real? Is this true? Um, and so it, that's that's just something that we have to we have to figure out. But uh, I, I think that making mm-hmm. sure that you're independently checking your analytics and cross referencing things between platforms is essential because every single platform mm-hmm. is going to tell them that they're doing their job great. Um, and if you're seeing issues, it might be something else. So it's it's definitely yeah. very very I, important. I, I think I think with Facebook, it's either they're measuring on a click through, or it is something more sinister than the case that Big Brother is. Watching. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> if Facebook know your numbers, they know your numbers. So they, yeah. <laughs> there's yeah. no guessing there. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's it's interesting because sometimes we'll run a campaign, right, and we'll do an ad on Facebook. And then Facebook will tell us that we've achieved X amount of conversions, meaning purchases, right? A quantity of transactions. And then we'll go in and we'll say, we'll, we'll look at the numbers and we'll literally, there's a number of transactions that Facebook tells us that's greater than the number of transactions that actually happened for this mm. product. And it's like, dude, this is just mm. a bald lie. And so we'll, you know, we've, we've, we've gone back and forth with Facebook on this and, you know, obviously it's Facebook, so no, no progress. But, Mm. um, I think that like just making sure that you're, that you're proving this stuff is so very important. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, you you mentioned Zapier is a, uh, important tool for you guys. Is there any other kind of, um, either monitoring or kind of, you know, automation hubs that you use, um, again, to try and string it all together? I think that the big one um, on the marketing side is Drip. 
but we use drip for our email newsletter. Um, mm. But it's also a really, really powerful marketing automation suite. And with customers coming in from many different portals, like we have the web, the, the Webflow store, the WooCommerce store, the Teespring store, uh, you know, and then a bunch of different marketing platforms that they come in through, and then Teachable, of course. Um, we needed one centralized place where we could track our customers' data in a way that would help us help them better. And so mm. when you have someone come in and they buy a typography class, for example, um, and then they go and they, and they buy something like the Pro Group, those two things don't really match and so our, our mission right now is like, how can we serve somebody's needs to their, where they're, they're, they're getting, they're actually buying the, the, the product that's going to help them the most. And so drip is really helpful because we can, we can see where they're coming from, where they enter the, the ecosystem and we can tag them appropriately based on their interest. Um, and then we can see what purchases that they end up buying and we can try to influence that and help them pick the products that's going to help them most. Um, and so that's the that's the the kind of hub for our customer data, if that makes sense. And then the and then the other thing too is that because we because we have all these platforms, I have to have one centralized place where I track uh, performance for marketing stuff. And so we use uh, Zoho Analytics for that. And that's a that's a great mm. suite. With all yeah, Zoho. Sorry, Sam, you carry on. I actually, I just had a really boring point, by the way, so you can go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask about the uh, the marketing side of things, because clearly there's so much stuff that you've strung together. Where did you start from with the marketing and, and figuring out how you were going to get, uh, you know, the, the students, the customers that you wanted into your platform? Where, where did you where, where did you start with that? I think we've, we definitely started organic um, mm. and, and I would say we started and continued organic. Because marketing, like we've got a lot of platforms that we've tested out, and we've got a lot of like efforts that we've that we've made, um, but nothing performs well for us or as well as our organic content. Mm. And while that's amazing, and like you know, we've hired marketing consultants to come in, and they've all said like, "Oh my God, all of your business is from organic. You guys are doing fantastic." Um, that's amazing. But the thing is, is that you can't really track it, and you can't really predict it. Mm. And so, unless mm. uh, you know, like unless you're adding tracking links to every single one of the 1,200 videos that we've produced over the past three years, uh, it's really difficult to see what video is performing the best for marketing purposes. Um, and so, you know, I would say that the, the way that we started was we just tried to build a community and tried to build an audience. And that was, that was the, 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 the spark that ignited this fire. Um, I think that the first, like, advertising platform that we went with was was facebook mm. and that worked really well for us because it's really easy to use um we haven't really done too much with like linkedin but uh yeah that's where we started did you have any there. any misses with like videos or content that you were putting out that just wasn't getting any interest did you have to tune it before you started getting hits or was it something that people were into straight away um it's been slow growth. Hmm. Like you see these guys on, uh, and we can get into YouTube. YouTube's a beast. Um, <laughs> but you see these these guys on YouTube, like even Peter McKinnon or um, Eric, 
who who in the last year has gained a million subs and they do things on youtube that are like i don't know they're they're viral videos like mm-hmm. it's like watch me skateboard down the empire state skate building whatever <laughs> um and so you know they're they're hacking the algorithm because it's like incredible content and they're great at it and they're very knowledgeable like if you hear these guys like mr beast like if you hear mr beast talk about his content um and in the way that he produces things and the way that he comes up with ideas he's genuinely trying to hack the algorithm um with us the niche is so small like designers and creative people who want to learn business the niche is so small that it's taken us five years to hit a million and so I would say, like, mm. to answer your questions, like, has any content missed the mark? Everything, like, <laughs> every video that we mm. produce, it's like, you know, we kind of expect it to perform a certain way and it, and it never it never reacts the way that we think. Um, one of our most watched videos uh, was just a quick recording of Chris explaining something to a group of students, like real live college students that came to our office for a visit. Literally, it was just a visit and then we threw the cameras on and... And he recorded this thing that went viral. And so, you know, I think that it's just the content game is just you got to produce and produce and produce and watch your costs while you do it. Because uh, we did this one series called Building a Brand. It's my favorite thing that we've ever done. Honestly, like that was that was such Mm. a hard uh, and wonderful process. Like it was just one of those like we tracked a project from end to end. And, uh, we recorded everything. Like we recorded confessionals. We recorded the, the, the clients in action. We recorded all of our presentations and we made this docu series about the project. And if you compare the production costs of that piece of content to the result in view count, it was an, it's an utter failure because we probably spent 250 grand putting that together over the course of a year. And I think the entire series as a whole maybe has 1.5 million views on it right now. Whereas, you know, Chris's freaking genius slapstick comment to a student already has 5 million (laughs) views or whatever. It's like, you know, it's it's just, it it is what it is. Um, But back on analytics, Mm. like YouTube analytics is great. You just have to know what metric matters. And what metric matters yeah. to the algorithm? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm still trying to figure out the YouTube stuff. I mean, it's yeah, I don't know what to measure. But um, you struck a chord there when you mentioned Mr. Beast, and and um, he was on Clubhouse recently, um, giving his whole spiel on YouTube and all the rest of it. How, are the future looking to kind of jump on that or trying to utilize that? I mean, I have I have little to no idea what's on it. I mean, it's all secretive and all the rest of it at the moment. But are your eyes on that? Are your yeah, we're in there. Planning anything with Clubhouse? We're in there. Um, I, I think we'll probably have some rooms. It's, it's kind of like it's kind of like a Zoom meeting with no video, and so I'm not sure what the what the craze is about. Like I've 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 been in a couple rooms, mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, it's kind of like listening to somebody's phone call, basically. Um, but uh, yeah, people are crazy with it, and we always try to just at least experiment with new platforms. We're on TikTok even. I didn't even know that, but somebody in the staff is putting our videos on TikTok. So, you know, we're there, I guess. Like, we try everything, man. I think TikTok's a good platform. It's a good good way to get in. I think we can get yeah. some uh, 
It's a good time because the algorithms new. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as the algorithms, mm. the algorithms mature, you tend to have to pay more, I think, to get to the top of them. <laughs> yeah. But in terms of analytics, do TikTok and, and Clubhouse have analytics on anything? Or uh, I have a- no idea about TikTok. That's a... Uh, like I aged out of that one. I, I'm, I, I have half my hair, dude. So, <laughs> um, but as as far as Clubhouse goes, like from what I've been able to tell, I don't think that there's any analytics. I think that it's just like you see how many people join your room because it's all live. I don't even know if you can record mm-hmm. things and and put it out there. So, um, it's it's really interesting. It's it's so it's so new that I don't think there's any analytics. As far as like social platforms in general, the 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 worst analytics in my opinion, is Instagram. It's so difficult to pull numbers, mm. especially for like stories mm. and promotions and all this kind of stuff. Um, and you have to you have to do it all in the in the app, in the phone app. And so it, it's very yeah. unfriendly for, for corporations. So I, I do see that as like more of an opportunity because you can't really hack things on Instagram like you can on, on YouTube. Um, so it's, uh, it's an opportunity, but it's also just a pain because... When I'm putting together the numbers for the, you know, the monthly top of the funnel that we have, um, can't see Instagram. So that's one of those downsides. Mm. It might be, I mean, there's a, there's an opportunity there, I think, to build some sort of third party thing. Because I think some of the best YouTube m- monitoring is is through third party, like their um I, I'm just guessing now, but their interface isn't as powerful as some of the other tools that are out there. So I don't know whether Instagram also has some, th- or there's an opportunity for a third party to get in there and present the data in a more meaningful way. Yeah, it could be. Mm. Um, it's, well, it's on the hour. I don't know what time it is there. Now, are you happy to continue or? Let's keep rolling. Hey, I think we've done all right, Sam. We can carry I'm on. I'm into it. There we go. <laughs> Can I start with a silly question? Uh, so, um, start. Well, well, start this next, uh, next, next Chris, segment. Chris is like, yeah. it's my turn. Yeah, no, I just I've got a silly question because it's just been bugging me that you, uh, you, you have such a great job title, being the uh, chief operating officer of the future. I was wondering if you had any predictions for us in 2021. <laughs> predictions? <laughs> Man, I'm just happy to be out of 2020. To be honest. Um, no, but I, yeah. I, I honestly think like uh, as far as the economics go, I honestly think that we're heading into more of like a, um, the another version of the Roaring Twenties. You know, I think that like as working people in you know the industries that are making the most revenue on the planet, um, as these people are reducing their cost, like by moving out into the country and in, in these places. Uh, I think that their spending power is going to go up. And so that's going to just contribute to the overall economy. And I think that like the revitalization of the small town, um, it's just going to be awesome. You know, I, <laughs> I moving from Los Angeles to Greenville, South Carolina, I'm recognizing so many things that I could bring with me from LA and um, things like oh, yeah. good coffee, boba shops, you know, like, there's so much opportunity here to to bring the big city benefits out into the small town. Did you say and boba think, shops? Yeah, boba tea. Have you ever had oh. boba tea? It's not like bubble tea. No. Yeah. 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 Ah, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. It's terrible for you. It's it's a it's like a it's like a can of sugar, but um, it's <laughs> <Yeah>. delicious. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, I noticed that as well, kind of disappearing into the country. You, you you see all that opportunity because they're, you know, quite frankly, they're so behind on these, you know, whether it's brick and mortar stores and coffee shops or whether it's just the way they operate their businesses. They're not mm-hmm. tuned in the way the big cities are. Yeah. Yeah, lots so of opportunities no, for that. And there's no good coffee in... Was he say North Carolina or South Carolina? South Carolina, yeah. I knew it had Carolina no, in it somewhere. We do actually have a, a, a great coffee shop in Greenville. Shout out to Methodical. Um, but I think there's more opportunity there. <laughs> Ooh, that's, that's yeah. a polite... Was that backhanded? Do you want to cut that out? <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep it in, man. They, they better step up because... Uh, Somebody might be coming for him, just saying. Yeah, there'll be a, there'll be a coffee and bubble tea shop opening around the corner. Nice. <laughs> um, so I, I actually was curious then, like, you know, with all this, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to use the term impersonal, right? But with, with all these kind of tools, kind of meaning that we step back from all these individual roles and pulling together data, like how, how do you guys balance or even assess whether you should bring in a, a real life human to do a particular task or whatever uh versus just kind of automating it and seeing that because you you still have to step in right you you've got to pull together these two numbers or whatever but yeah well okay so i think that like if it's customer facing human is always better Right. And so that's why mm. we've resisted the urge. And maybe it's just me, but I've resisted the urge of putting a chatbot on the site. Because those things are just annoying. They are just annoying. And even yeah. if we use it for sales um, and we and we build this whole funnel where it auto responds, like we've had companies come and pitch us ideas and I'm sure it would be able to help us. Um, but honestly, like there's there's really nothing like being able to talk to a, to a salesman. And so we actually hired a salesman. Uh, last year to to help us with some of our larger courses um so i i think that there's like there's things that if it touches a human uh, if it touches a customer then you know you kind of want that that um human connection there but then there's things like freaking pulling together analytics and as soon as i can automate that or uh you know consolidating our e-commerce into one system you know these are things that we're actively working on um, and I think it's like, let's look at, let's look at what we're doing on a daily basis. For example, Alex, our, our, uh, marketing manager in Romania, he was tasked with, um, the Facebook group management. And so every day he would check for cancellations and boot people out. And then every day he would check for people wanting to get in and that would be two hours of his day. And so that right there is just a task that nobody should do. Nobody, there's no reason for that. Um, we, we don't need a, a human gatekeeper in place. That's something that can be handled with with technology and automations. Um, and so we look for, uh, at least I do, I look for tasks like that that we can just smash, um, just get it off the so we can focus on something that matters. Yeah, I think with, with um, analytics, though, like a, a tool to bring it all together will be um, fantastic and, you know, with all these different systems in place. But... I think inferring the data, I think that needs a bit of a human. It needs empathy and it needs emotion to kind of, you know, you can't you can't make a you can't have a robot tell tell you which I don't know how to how to run a campaign or whatever or how to uh, how to approach a campaign. I guess so. I think humans need to be there yeah. to to have that sense of emotion essentially. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that like, and, and this is coming from a place of experience because I was this person, but I think there's a lot of people out there, a lot of marketers and business owners out there that um, expect analytics to be an active process and instead it's mm. a passive process. And I think you touched on it before where you're like, you have to know what to do with the data. Um, but I think that there's a lot of people that literally think that they can log in and the, and the system will tell them the way. And that's not the case. Mm. And, and I think that there's always going to be a need for a human to pose a hypothesis, uh, run the experiment, and then measure things. And and I think that that is, is one of the most important parts of this whole marketing sphere. And it's not something that we've done well. And I'm, you know, I'll, I'll tell you right now that it's not something that we've, that we've done well, um, because it requires constant iterations, constant cycles of hypothesis, experiment, measure. Uh, and, and, you know, we should be doing this as far as we go, we should be doing this on a, on a biweekly basis, literally, because we have 40 some SKUs and every single one of them has a different way that we need to be marketing. And so that, that cycle really can't be automated and there's no system that's going to tell you exactly what to do. Mm. Do you, I, do you have, um, is it you that, that manages all of that or have you got someone to do it or is it kind of like a team effort that pulls together marketing it's campaigns? Li- and yeah, It's a little bit of a team effort and it's actually something that we're running into an issue with right now. Um, mm. So, and if we're nerding out on too much like educational marketing here, we can kind of redirect. But basically what, what we're seeing is like um, for every course, Again, we have 40 SKUs. Every single course needs its own marketing campaign. And every single marketing campaign, it needs a person to constantly uh, manage and monitor these things, right? And so, especially with like Facebook advertising, if a piece of creative goes out in two weeks, it's stale. And then you have to refresh it and, and kind of tweak it. And so if you can think about that, it's like 40 SKUs times... X amount of campaign per SKU. You need an entire marketing team for this. And I think like if you look at Masterclass, Masterclass uh, started out, and this is the company that sells celebrity courses. Masterclass started out by selling individual courses, right? And it was probably easy for them to track finances and royalties and all that kind of stuff because that's what we do, right? We we pay our authors royalties. And so... As the as the student or as the you watch masterclasses progression, all of a sudden they switch to a subscription program where you subscribe and you get their entire catalog. Now I don't know this because I don't know anybody that that works in the marketing department in masterclass, but I have a sneaking suspicion that their catalog grew to a point where they literally could not staff enough marketers to run marketing for every single course individually, and so instead. They switched their marketing effort to a single product, which was a subscription product. And so Mm. right now we are facing this same thing where it's like, how are we going to impact our marketing and, and market every single SKU the way it needs to be marketed without completely jumping off a cliff with our overhead costs and our marketing budget. So that is, that's a, that's a massive problem that we're, that we're facing right now. So it's like, E-commerce solutions and and marketing scale is what we're trying to tackle right now. Yeah, if there are any experts out there? Get in contact because uh, sounds like big, <laughs> big issues. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think there's the um, <clears throat> the, the mental like you mentioned uh, the productized you know angle that the um, masterclass have gone down. That like there's there's a mental overhead when you have to run like bespoke you know services for so many different things. You know, I'm finding it in in my company. It's just oh, I wish I could just. You know, I, for instance, I'm considering kind of like an agile kind of package route where you pay one set amount of money that you get X amount of team members and it's just productized. Mm-hmm. That reduces a lot of mental overhead. But again, it, it, it start, it's a balance between that personal touch and that personal, you know, high end bespoke service versus just something you can just take someone through and it's just it's less of a headache then. Mm-hmm. So. I'm all for the productization of things, but it's it's a diff it's it's difficult. Um, obviously, yeah, like you say, when you're when you're running so many different so many different things on the on the go at the same time. Do you think the future yeah. would ever go down of that route of the productized kind of entire catalog thing, or is that kind of just an avenue you don't want to touch? <clears throat> well, I think that like that's what we're doing now, right? It, we're technically a marketplace mm. where the student can go pick which courses to, to fill. Um, I, I don't know that that's like the future of the future, maintaining this marketplace kind of thing. I think that like for resources, right, we've got a bunch of templates and all that kind of stuff that, that sell very well. And I think that they work really well in a marketplace when it comes to like actual Mm -hmm. classes. I have a, a, a theory that people are actually after transformation. And so instead of trying to diagnose what they need to learn and reverse engineer their own curriculum, I think that what they want is to be mm-hmm. able to say, I want to grow a business or I want to uh, become a motion designer. And I think that that's the, that's the angle that they're really looking to do because it's a lot of work for someone to say, well, what does a motion designer need to do? Well, they need to learn animation and then they need to learn typography probably. And then they need to learn, um, maybe some advanced animation and get their work critiqued. It's a lot of self-reflection and and diagnosis for someone Mm -hmm. who may be on the outside of a career and not really know those things. And so like, I think moving, moving forward, what, what I'm going to experiment with and, and um, it's actually the first time I've said this in public, but I think I'm actually going to put together an actual certification program for uh, web designers. And, Mm. um, build this thing where it's it's less about learning specific skills like typography on the web that could be a an individual standalone class um and instead look at it more from a transformation point of view where i take a student and i transform them into a future certified web designer so mm. i think that that's like that's like uh our next big experiment <laughs> Mm. Well, you, like literally just following someone, because I guess that's what you did with Melinda, wasn't it? Really, it's just taking someone from zero to hero, I guess, and and then you know seeing that process. Because to mm-hmm. to your point as well about the the building a brand thing, I think that was really insightful for me. Is is just again just seeing that that uh, that end to end process rather than kind of learning the the nuances or or whatever. It, it makes for a lot of content for sure, but it's it's mm-hmm. not necessarily the right content or or the right amount of value given the result sort of thing yeah um so you mentioned about there that you like the technology and stuff like that do you is chris coming back 
because he's a real big nerd with home automation and things like that and i wondered if you were also employing some of your uh technical automation skills to your home yeah absolutely um the the entire house kind of runs well I, I tell you what we i'm sitting right here in this bedroom and and this bedroom is in my in-laws home so when we moved we were mm-hmm. like you know it was covid so we couldn't go visit anything um so we literally drove across the country and i know for for you guys over there in the uk across the country is like a little baby trip for us it's 36 hours of driving <laughs> 70 mm-hmm. miles an hour um so we drove across the country and we needed like a place to crash. And so we're staying in my in-laws house and uh, it's a beautiful place. Like the, it overlooks a, a gorgeous kind of mountain range. Like I'm looking at it through my window. It's fantastic. The leaves are all different colors and uh, it's just gorgeous. Um, but they have no home automations and it's driving me crazy. Like the fact that I have to turn <laughs> on lights it's like, I just want to smash it, you know, like, because, <laughs> yeah. you know, when we had our place in, in LA, it was like, uh, everything was automated. Like, I didn't even have to think about turning on the lights because they turned on at sunset. Um, and, you know, we had <laughs> cameras all over the place so we could keep an eye on the kids when they're just out of view. So it's like, I, for sure, a fan of home automation. That's exactly what I've done in my house, actually. Um, when we bought there this we place, go. there he is. Yeah, no, I'm back now, and I wanted to talk about it. <laughs> no, it's, uh, in uh, in our place, we uh, we we've literally ripped everything out and wired everything for automation. So I built the platform That's that we great. could control everything from. Because I think the thing that was important, especially in the UK, was that with uh, with the light switches, because you've got a whole load of these automated or you know automated bulbs. As soon as you turn them off the wall, mm-hmm. they're useless. And so, you know, you want to have a yep. proper integrated switch. And I wanted to do other things with that and make sure that the switches looked traditional because our house is an old Victorian house. Mm-hmm. We wanted to keep a very Art Deco feel to it. So you don't want the automation to be intrusive. Yeah. You want it to feel natural. So you can do all of the things like, uh, like you're saying about being able to just have the lights turn on automatically at dusk and go off at, uh, go off again at dawn for example mm-hmm. like our porch our porch light just goes off automatically at dawn which is nice um you know so you can control controlling all of the environment but also controlling temperature as well so you can control each room individually mm-hmm. because you've got a temperature sensor in each room and uh, i think building that from building that from components uh, that are available are um can be expensive <laughs> so oh, yeah. instead instead we invested in doing it um ourselves and i've actually started developing uh, new boards that we can uh, we, we can uh, develop and hopefully sell, get into some hotels and things like oh. that as well. Well, Chris, uh, you oh. and me need to talk. Then I'll, I'll be a beta tester for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have to yeah, right now American like, wiring, but I'm all for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at, right now we're like I said, we're staying with the in-laws and we're doing some updates, and so I literally have just a pile of outlets and stuff mm. sitting on my desk waiting to be because they don't like some of their stuff doesn't even have like a, a, a ground to it yeah um, yeah absolutely but the like we're, we're building a house uh, maybe building we may be buying we're trying to figure that out right now and whatever route we take that's the first move to go in there and just kill every single light switch <laughs> <laughs> 
I have to say it's been one of the hardest things, one of the hardest things I've done, uh, frankly, like ripping everything apart and rebuilding everything from scratch, especially because when we were doing the initial design of the place, we knew we needed to have cable runs, but it was for a system that I hadn't fully proven yet. So, you know, try doing an MVP mm. on a, on, a, <laughs> on something where you've actually got to brick it in, you know, that's, wow. that's tricky um, that's to make sure that you've got the access so that you can, if it, something goes wrong, you've got to figure out, okay, well, how am I going to change this stuff out for the thing that is, that I think is going to be the improvement when I don't know mm -hmm. what the problem is going to be. You know, it's much harder, I mm -hmm. think, when it's in brick and mortar. But, uh, you know, lessons learned, plenty of lessons learned. It's resulted in me doing it mostly DIY, actually. <laughs> Fun. Have you guys any like uh, tragic accidents with uh, regards to playing with electricity or anything like that? What, me or Ben? <laughs> Not yet. Both. My God. <laughs> I've electrocuted myself several times. I think it's getting to that, if you remember Home Improvement from the 90s, almost getting to the point where, you know, I would have my own mug in the hospital. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I, I blew up my uh, lights, my, my electric, because um, I, I was trying to install some light switches that I could you know, operate remotely or something like that. And I didn't know, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. All of a sudden, just a big explosion happened, bang, and then all the lights went out. And my girlfriend was out, and um, kudos to your, your wives and partners, uh, you know, allowing you to do this. But she, she popped out to the shops, and I was sitting in darkness all this time. And she came back, and I sort of cowardly <laughs> opened the door and said, I've done I've done something. <laughs> it's uh, very, very, uh, yeah, very yeah. embarrassing, but managed to get it back on. But, um, when you start playing with electricity, it gets dangerous. Yeah, it's it's quite terrifying. You need to make sure you've got one of those little electrical pens so you can test everything before you uh, yeah. see your fingers in it. <laughs> I do. I just didn't know how to use it. I was I was scared to even poke. The end, you know, the cable. I didn't know whether the ampage was right on this on this little tool. Um, I just didn't know what you know. I, I just I was one of those stupid idiots who went in and just tried it out and see what see what happened. Basically, I think that's what we all do. YouTube it up. YouTube says, cut this wire. I think with YouTube, you have to make sure you've watched at least three videos and taken the average of the recommendations. Because otherwise, some things can get hor go horribly wrong. Um, you know, you don't want to necessarily go somewhere. And go, it's fine. Just stick your fingers in. It'll it'll be fine. Yeah. Um, and then end up, you know, singeing your your uh, the end of your finger off. Um, so you know, take the average of the recommendations. I think is my my suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm currently trying to break into our post box because we've lost our key to the post box, and I know this is not. Um, you know, electric related, but I, I have taken to a drill. I've learned from YouTube to take a drill to it. And I've just, I've mashed up the inside of that <laughs> plug, uh, the the key socket. And I, I'm going to try again tonight, but I think I'm going to have to hold my hands up and maybe call someone out to try and get into our post box because YouTube can't always help. <laughs> this is a different level of DIY yeah. <laughs> problems, I think, Sam. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think you need more fundamental yeah. power tools. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of technology yeah. and automations, they make key trackers, Samuel. <laughs> There's little you, things you know, where you track I your have, keys. Oh, I I it'll save I've you some them. drilling. I've got them. Yeah, Sam's <laughs> keys are probably in the post box. That's probably the problem. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> These keys are tiny and it seemed like it was pointless putting it onto a onto a tracker. So I, I have trackers, like I've got them everywhere, but not the postbox key. So uh yeah. <laughs> cool. Should we wrap it up there then? I think it's coming up to half past yeah. now, so for us. Thank you for your time, Ben. Yeah, absolutely. I had a blast, guys. This was this was fun. Yeah. I don't think anybody's ever yeah. asked me these questions about the way that we've set up the business. So it's really, really a fun time talking about it, especially with people that know what they're doing. I think it's really intriguing <laughs> wow. to, uh, you know, I think it's a bit generous for you to suggest that we know what we're doing. But I think the uh, in terms of the, <laughs> in terms of uh, in terms of what you've done and how you've scaled it, I think it's fascinating. Well, it's very impressive. Appreciate yeah, it. yeah, and that that whole startup approach is just yeah, it's incredible to apply that and. That fail fast approach is great. So yeah, but it's been great. It's been a blast. Thanks so much, Ben, for your time. Cool. Yeah. All right. Yeah, bye bye.